You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. Time to pay some bills. Who's next, Fabrizio? Ladder? Yeah, hit that gym music, buddy. Yeah, it's good. This episode is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James, the man himself, and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way that supplements are made. They worked with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. And unlike other supplements, every single batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. Now, even before they approached me about a sponsorship, I use Ladder. I'm in the middle of a fast right now and I wanted to make sure that I was getting all of my vitamins daily and I started drinking their superfood green drink and it is incredible. You have to try it. Hopefully I can ball like LBJ after this is done too. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off of everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's better every day for 30% off at ladder.sport. Drink up, guys. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the LaunchCast. 28 episodes, I still have goosebumps. Episode 128, entitled How to Be a Human Being, Part 2, The Protest Series. It's a good one today, guys, but first... It's the Launch Dad himself bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. Oh, it's true. It's Dan Drew. And we're doing it right now as the beat drops. Into the black hole. What a transition. Getting better and better every week. Guys, thank you for joining me today on the LaunchCast. This is a special episode. I am so, so excited for a number of reasons today, but we are going to continue the conversation from last week. As always, we are talking leadership, life, business, growth, but we have to shift the narrative a little bit. Um, you know, there's there's some crazy, crazy stuff going on in the world right now, and it would... As a leader, it would be a crime to not address it. And so I know that last week I, I stood up on my soapbox a little bit. I discussed my feelings about what is going on right now um, as a leader, as a, a white man of privilege, um, you know, as a community member, as an empathetic person. Um, and I, I, think I, I think I really emoted in a way that uh, was very helpful to me. Uh, you know, I discussed that I was having trouble for the first couple of weeks, just really figuring out the words. I had a conversation with somebody and, um, I described it as, 
you know, when, when you have a, a kid, those of you that are, are parents or those of you that were babies at one time, uh, when you have a kid and, you know, uh, you have a little baby and, and they're just frustrated and there's crying and there's wiggling and there's just hysterics and you, you don't understand, you can't emote, you can't speak yet. Um, I think that's the way a lot of people were feeling um, in anger, in frustration, in rage, in sorrow, uh, in sadness. And, you know, it took uh, a couple of weeks of just making a lot of phone calls, speaking to a lot of close friends, uh, doing a lot of my own research just to educate myself a little bit, you know, before I was able to really emote in a way that I feel, um, that I feel spoke to how I feel in my heart. Um, but that was last week's episode. Uh, and so that was, (coughs) excuse me, that was the introduction to, a series of panel episodes that we're going to be hosting here on the launchcast. It's something that we've never done before, but you know what? As a leader, we have to we have to step up and we have to we have to change the game. We have to change the narrative. We have to change the way people are discussing these things. I saw what was going on in social media, the fighting, the 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 crazy amount of words going back and forth. Um, and that's something that for me that I wanted to address. You know, as a person with a platform, I wanted to get on this microphone. I wanted to get on this stage of mine and bring other leaders and aspiring leaders to the stage that could help those people to better understand what's going on right now, how to be an ally, um, how to be supportive, how to lead in this time. And I, I couldn't have asked for a better first panel. For, for part two of this series. So I'm going to bring them on. Let me bring these beautiful faces on screen. There we go. There's everybody. Six people. All right. Uh, I'm going to go one by one in my order here that I see everybody on screen, introduce them, do the brief bio, and then we'll, we'll start to hear from everybody and get this panel started. So first person on the list, I have Jasmine Rashid. Jasmine is uh, an Oakland-based activist and strategist peace and conflict studies graduate of Swarthmore College and Congressman John Lewis Humanity and Action Fellow. She is she currently serves as the director of, of advocacy and strategic partnerships for the impact investing firm Candide Group. Jasmine, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, George. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, I have Malik Silal. Malik is uh, a graduate of SUNY New Paltz for his undergrad and MBA. Uh, his undergrad was in management here in his MBA and he's a fellow Daler. This entire room, by the way, uh, for those that are not from our town, this entire room is full of, uh, Farmingdale high school graduates, starting with me, the oldest by far, and then going down to two, uh, current juniors going into their senior year, uh, this fall. So Malik is also a graduate of Farmingdale high school, 2014. Malik, thank you for being here as well. Thank you for having me, George. Absolutely. Uh, next we have... Next, we have Carl Bissett. Carl is a rising senior. <laughs> Carl is a rising senior who is dedicated and motivated to his work and his continuing work on social justice issues. He's a proud African American that is eager to make change in the world and be a positive role model for the upcoming generation. In the near future, Carl intends to be working in sports medicine and fulfill a lifelong dream of being a track star and hopefully go to the Olympics. Carl, so happy to have you here. Glad to be here. Uh, next up we have Maddie, we have 
Madison Outing. Madison is an upcoming senior who is passionate about social justice issues. She is proud to follow in the footsteps of all of the young people who participated in the social justice issues of their time. In the future, she plans to be a multi-millionaire as well as a business owner. Boom. Thank you yeah. for being here, Maddie. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I think we're all in agreement. Best, best bio of the day, <laughs> for sure. Sorry to everybody else. <laughs> and we're going to, uh, uh, Carl and Maddie, we're going to get into a little bit uh, your extracurricular activities at FHS as well. Uh, and then finally, we have Sandra Costanzo. She's also a uh, Farmdale High School class of 2011. She's an alumni of Hofstra University, uh, graduate with a degree in public relations and an English minor. Sandra, thank you for being here as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let me, let me just briefly, um, explain how I got to know you guys and then we'll, we'll really jump in. Um, and so first let me start with the, the younger two here. So Carl and Maddie, um, are two of the original founders of a club at Farmingdale high school called real harmony, which is an incredible, incredible club. And so uh, I want to guys, if you can touch on it, just briefly between the two of you, because we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper later on, but just give us uh, a brief overview of what Real Harmony is. So basically what Real Harmony stands for is uh, okay. alliance and love. And uh, it was definitely not easy coming up with, you know, the first half of that name, but it is it, definitely something that we stand by. Yeah. It's something that we, it's like a club to make everybody feel welcome, everybody feel involved, nobody left out. If like you're if you feel like you're alone, you can just come and it doesn't matter what like what ethnicity or background. We're all we all Yeah, that's amazing. Uh can you uh Maddie, can you give me the what do the initials stand for one more time? I think you cut out earlier. Sorry. Uh respect, education, alliance, and love. Understood. Yeah, uh I have heard so many amazing things about this club. We're going to get into to some deeper stories uh, a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, they were um, they were two people that that jumped out. Really, the club is what jumped out at me um, early on when I wanted to have these panels and I wanted to represent my hometown. Um, you know, knowing what this club has has done and and the good work that it's doing, I wanted to have a couple of the representatives on. And so, um, you know, Mrs. Kramer, who uh, I guess is in charge of. Uh, the club she's the teacher representative for the club she had recommended you two to jump in uh, and so i'm thankful for that now malik jasmine and sandra i reached out to a few days ago because they organized an incredible uh protest peaceful protest right here in our hometown of farmingdale um so we'll we're going to get into that story in a little bit guys but i just wanted everybody to have a little bit of background on um on where this all came from but i want to dive in now into the panel and, and really start to have some conversations. Um, I want to start right now. Let's actually give it to Malik first. I want to, I want to talk to you about as a black young man right now that is just getting started in your career. I'm, I'm really curious to hear the juxtaposition of what today feels like versus a month ago. Talk to me about what it felt like to be, a black man in the United States one month ago and how it feels today? Um, I would say it doesn't really feel that much different. I just think everyone else is aware of how it feels to be a black man in America. It's an interesting point that you make there. Um, 
that it doesn't feel any different. It's just that people are aware. What we're seeing right now is that with this conversation and, and the conversation I'm talking about um, is the the Black Lives Matter movement, the the murder of George Floyd, which you know sparked tremendous outrage in the community over not only um, you know police treatment of uh, black men, but just the race issue at large right now. Do you feel more heard right now, Malik, because this issue is at the forefront? Um, I wouldn't say I feel more hurt. I say I would feel feel tired because, you know, Jasmine and I are the same age. I, I look at us as the Trayvon Martin kids. We lived through Mike Brown. We lived through um, several of these situations, but none of them have received the publicity that George Floyd received. But that doesn't mean it felt any different for me personally or anyone that looks like me it's just maybe my white counterparts are paying attention to how i feel now i think that's the biggest difference but it's always felt this way it may actually feel better now because it's brought to light where before it was just i was kind of alone with my fellow black colleagues and and you know black peers to to hurt and mourn but now i feel like i have white counterparts at least more so mourning with me and wanting to make changes with me. So I would say this is the most energized I've felt. This is the most, this is the first time I felt like I could get up and make a personal contribution myself other than just trying to circumvent what it's like to be a black man in America. So I would say um, that's the biggest biggest difference with George Floyd. Yeah. Um, Carl, you see in Malik uh, a man right now that's, you know, a, a, a fast forward of seven years from now, right? From where you are, you're going now into your uh, into your senior year um, of high school, and you know, a whole life ahead of you to be an Olympian and and in sports medicine and and do all the great things that you're going to do. Um, same questions to you. Well. Like right now, I don't think we've really ever been heard before. But this is like the first time we're getting recognition. We're getting actual like being heard. I feel like right now it's very weird with me because like I have white friends and like certain type like different ethnicity friends, and it's just weird on like like um talking to them, and it's just the tension between it because of everything, and because now they're actually being attention and talking about it rather than sweeping it under the rug and acting like it's not there carl how do you feel right now you we we had a little bit of a talk before this all started and something that jumped out of my mind um specifically is that you said that some people are starting to re reveal their true colors i want to speak on that for a minute um because I, I would love to jump into this subject heavily uh, I have some some very big opinions right now on this in terms of forward progress. Um, talk to me about what you feel like when you say that people are showing their true colors. Like, like me, I go like when I go to school, like I see these people around school. I see them, and even like talking. But when you talk to them online and you see what they're posting online, it's like a totally different mindset than what you're used to, and it just upsets you. And it's just like like what 
which one is you because in school you act this way but this is really how you think and even madison madison talks to like fellow students of mine who have totally different perspectives and it just really opens my mind how people actually think and really upsetting to me yeah maddie can you speak on that a little most definitely um like carl said we we see these these faces in school the same faces that are online promoting against my protest you know what i mean it's like it it, it hurts because you know it's like you're sitting here smiling in my face but you're really you're really digging in the knife deeper and and you know it's it it, it hurts it really does yeah um i want to throw it to to jasmine for a minute jasmine uh I'd love to hear your comments on this now as, you know, as a young adult um, who is heavily involved in some incredible work that you told me about yesterday, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that same subject. Yeah. So for me, um, I'm not black. I'm a woman of color, born and raised in Farmingdale. Um, But as a woman of color, as specifically a South Asian woman growing up in a town that I think Um, If you know Farmingdale, it's overwhelmingly white, like most of Long Island, um, but diverse in that we have multiple school districts coming in. So we have parts of Amityville, um, Farmingdale, South Farmingdale, North Massapequa. And what that meant that I went to high school with um, a diverse group of kids, but definitely a segregated class. Um, And I was one of like maybe three, four South Asians. And so as a brown person, didn't really know where I fit into that dynamic. Um, And so I have been like, interested in really observing around me how classmates were treated, being able to have friends kind of in both groups and be able to really witness where um, race relations play into shaping people's everyday lives. So for me, I think similar to um, Malik and I think everyone so far is that a lot of what is now becoming so visible and so evident has always been there. In some ways, I think we've made progress. And in some ways, I think that we, you know, obviously have gained gained a lot um, from people on the ground doing the work of bringing attention to this. But it's interesting because in one sense, you want to hug people who this is their first time at a protest. But you also want to shake them and be like, where were you two years ago, three years ago, four years ago? Um, So for me, I'm I'm dealing with this kind of double consciousness of uh, exhaustion, but also... Um, deep gratitude that it seems like this time might be different. Um, I have to talk a little bit more about why I think it might be different later, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Jasmine, just to, just to piggyback on that for a second, I, I want you to look at this from uh, a realistic angle of progress. And then of course the emotional angle, the, the feelings that we feel as human beings right now, when you say that you see that person that you want to hug because they're supporting at the protest, but then you want to shake because it's like, where have you been? Um, speak more on that. Does that matter to you in the long run? Is that just an initial impulse? Uh, or, or do you feel that in the long run that having an ally now is better than just not having an ally? No, it definitely matters to me because it's not just about my emotional reaction. It's about the fact that when people have racial biases, when they when they choose to ignore the reality, they're actually actively contributing to the systems that have put us here in the first place. So in one hand, I, I still have this anger because I think I'm skeptical that anyone who identifies as an ally right now, whether or not they're going to really stay par for the course and be in this in the long run. So um, yeah, it's 
It's definitely um, a complicated place to be in, but I think that when people realize being neutral in situations like this is very far from neutral in terms of real life consequences for black people and black and brown people, um, yeah, it's worth getting, getting into um, kind of the emotional and real progress of that is real. Yeah, there's a couple of points that you made there that I, I want to uh, I want to expand on as we move on. But I want to hear real quick from Sandra right now. Sandra, as as a white woman that grew up in the same community, um, particularly the the type of things that Jasmine was just speaking on, um, seeing allies that are just jumping on board now and not knowing if they're going to be there for the long run. Um, I would love to hear your uh, your take right now as a white woman. Um, who's who's really part of this you know you were one of the organizers of this protest we'll tell the story later of how you guys kind of came together with two separate protests and combined them which i thought was awesome um but i'd love to hear how you feel right now because i spoke on this a little bit in in part one of this series last week in episode 127 uh and it took me a while um to really be able to emote this and, and you and i had a conversation uh yesterday as well uh, because I wanted to get that take on it, and and we were just talking life and and progress right now. Uh, so speak on this a little bit if you can. Um. So for me, staying neutral was never an option. I knew that I had a voice, and I I needed to stand up for what I felt. And I feel like um a lot of times it is difficult being um a white person because. Growing up in Farmingdale, as it is very known, it is predominantly white. So you definitely, you know, there's there's definitely some people who will go against me, some people who will agree with me. But again, just to go off of like showing true colors like that, I again, like I look at people who I'm friends with, close with, and you know, some people will fight me on it, some people will go with me on it, but I, I still feel that you really need to stand up for what's right. And um, I also feel like what Jasmine said, like saying if um, people are going to stay on the right course, that's definitely a concern. Because I think with um, the media attention it's gotten, I feel I look at someone who people who um, even participated in uh, Blackout Tuesday. I think that sometimes for some people, it was just a little too easy just to post a black box and I feel that um that wasn't enough and I feel like if you really feel strongly about it and you're you are posting the black box then you really should um do more and use your voice so I felt like that was important and I didn't see enough people do that so for me I definitely have the same concerns and I hope people um even after Sunday really just like had their minds open and were educated because I think with being an ally that's the most important thing just to stay educated, you know, because again, we'll never know what it, what it really is like, but, um, we can be an ally and we can, um, just really learn and just stay aware of what's going on and be part of that change. Yeah. Um, Malik, I want to come back to you for, for a second here. Um, I think as, uh, you know, I, I teach a leadership course and I've really gotten into leadership theory uh, in the last 12 months, particularly in, in putting together this course. Um, I want to hear your take on on this, and I think this is a really interesting thing to dive into. Uh, Sandra mentioned um, 
people being educated in order to, to become allies. Um, I heard from a very close friend of mine, he gave me one of the greatest lines I think I have ever heard. Um, he said to me, George, I am tired of being white people's tour guide to racism. Right. Um, and it, it gives me chills just to hear that line. Um, talk to me about understanding, right? We know uh, in leadership that uh, to lead empathetically, to lead uh, as an educator, to lead alongside people rather than leading in front of them is, is the most effective way to engage people and activate people, okay? that That's a given in any kind of situation. Um, when you lead with the team as opposed to in front of the team, you're going to get much better results. How do you feel right now about putting that kind of effort in, knowing that there are so many people out there, and we're going to say predominantly white people, uh, that, that don't understand every nuance of, of this issue right now. You've said before that you're tired. But knowing that in order to maintain forward progress as a leader, you have to be there to teach. You have to get people woke. You have to educate them on what racism truly is. Um, how does that feel for you right now as somebody who's standing up and trying to lead but being exhausted of this, the conversation at the same time? Right. Um it's definitely fair to unpack your own personal emotions. I mean, when I first saw the video, it kind of took me, I remember texting Jasmine and not really knowing what to say or how to feel just to, but, but once you get over that, it's like, you have to keep in mind that racial issues, systematic racism is bigger than yourself. It's bigger than me being tired per se. You know, um, God willing, I plan on having kids one day. Um, I see people like Carl and Maddie that are younger that I see myself in. And it's like, you have a responsibility to, to contribute to a world that they don't have to deal with the same things you dealt with growing up, or at least a little bit less of it, you know? So I agree to that sentiment that we're all tired, we have a right to be tired. We're talking about 400 years of history of just, you know, oppression, but, and watching your, your parents and your grandparents go through the same thing. But, you have to, they saw it as being bigger than themselves. So I feel like we all have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carl, can you speak on that, uh, for a little bit as well as, as, uh, as a student right now in high school that is in a position, you know, as one of the founders of real harmony to be able to use your platform right now in order to at least change things a little bit in your community how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the the people that are on your social media feed that you're seeing their their true colors right now? Um, do you feel slighted in that you just don't want to deal with these people, or do you feel a need as a leader to stand up and and educate them? No, most definitely. Like as a leader, we have to stand up and educate them because the less that we just let it go, that's like something that they'll just keep going on doing but if we educate them and we help them and we actually make them understand why this is wrong why what we've been through then they could actually change their mindset and we could start chain reactions so they can change somebody else's mindset but if we just let it go then that person would just keep 
can't see the same ignorant things. And we, like, I have a platform that I could use definitely, and I plan on using to connect with people, try and get more people to a club talking and try and bring us together. So we could just form as one and just, like, have love for one another. Yeah. Maddie, are you activated to, to stand up right now as a leader and to create change? Of course. Of course. I feel like more than ever, you know, this is, this is, this needs to happen now. What was, what was the exact moment now, you know, being, being a co-founder of, of this club, I, I feel like you've just been an activated person and you're the, you know, you two are the type of people that are going to always stand up. Um, what was the moment in the last couple of weeks that something clicked for you in order to, to stand up and just kind of go to the next level of being a leader? If there was a specific moment. I feel like it was just, it just, I feel like everything is just like piling on, if that makes sense. Like, I don't really know when I, when I said it, it was, it was enough, but I knew, I just felt it. It's something you feel like you have to speak up. You can't, you can't be silent because silence is, is, is not, is not what's going to make change. What is, what is activism within your group right now look like to you? Do you have any plans right now with either Real Harmony or any other platforms of yours to stand up and, and attempt to create change? Uh, yes. So I attended a meeting today and we basically talked about how we can educate the kids that, that's, that uh, use these racial slurs within school and on social media and how we can set up like kind of like a restorative justice and educate these these uh these kids through uh hearing like other kids of minorities and black kids like just hear their voices you know what i mean and understand like where we're coming from and why we're so upset and to just really understand like just to like know where we stand basically how did that how did that come about how did that situation come about today? We met with the superintendent and okay. administrators and deans and other faculty. Was that something that they put together? It was something that was started uh, based off of emails that me and the collective group sent out, uh, basically voicing that we need change in in the school system and we wanna we wanna like we're we're strong. We feel strongly about this and. And we're not gonna back down no matter what. You're like you can't silence silence us. Yeah, amazing, Carl. You you wanted to say something? Uh, yeah, I was basically saying because we have voiced out our like opinions and through our through email, and like we got an email back, and it really it was like neutral. So then we we just kept pushing, and then today we had a meeting with superintendents with like people that could make a change, and we just voiced what we had in like little small groups. And it was actually a good talk because we learned and we actually like talked about and we felt comfortable and it was, it was really good today. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Malik, you wanted to say something? Yeah. Uh, Jasmine touched on progress and even though it's been agonizingly slow, I mean, I feel like we can see it right here in this conversation. I mean, Jasmine backed up on this, but when I was a junior high school, I would have never thought about challenging administration, challenging my teachers, challenging we kind of just dealt with it, you know? So even in that sense, like you guys, you know, 
having it in you to stand up and send emails to administration and phone clubs and, you know, not lay over on this. Like, that's progress in itself. So I just kind of wanted to give you guys a round of applause for that. I'm really impressed by that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I want to uh, I want to touch on that for a minute. Um, I think, um, and you guys can disagree with me if if you want on this, but I think we live um, in a town that over time, right? <laughs> because we have to be fair about this, um, has gotten a lot more progressive. Um, I personally have seen this change in the district over the last few years with the new guard that's come in and some of the stuff they're they're doing and. Um, I just see a culture of of listening finally which is which is huge which is the first step to to change you know to be able to listen to all of the stakeholders within an organization so when you look at like a school district you talk about um the the teachers the students the parents the administration um you know the the residents that are paying the taxes these are all stakeholders uh in the organization and so when you have an organization that begins by listening step one is listen and then let's let's really observe and see what the issues are and let's then act and come up with action plans to try and make this better um i know you know having graduated from from farmingdale 23 years ago that that's different now you know this is a new garden place um i, I want to shift the conversation uh, a little bit i want to talk about neutrality we, we touched on this a little bit i have i talked a little bit last week in in episode 127 about neutrality um so just to give those that i i, I haven't um talked to yet about this uh in depth the last two weeks for me was a really um a really strange journey you know as as a person that always stands up and and by the way i define leadership in its simplest form is a person that will stand up and say, I'll do it, right? Somebody that will stand up and say, I'll say it, I'll do it, I'm behind it. That's a leader um, in its very simplest form. And so as a person that generally does that, I found myself very confused in this situation because I'm not... Um, naive to the fact that, you know, I am a white man of privilege. And although I want to help, I don't know where my voice lies in this right now. And so I spoke to a lot of my friends. I spoke to friends of color. I spoke to white friends. I spoke to a lot of social justice friends that I have just to get all of the information. And it put me in this really crazy like loop um, of just, I was, I was being driven nuts by not knowing what the right thing to do was. And then when I kind of came to the realization that there's never going to be a right thing, there's never going to be something that pleases everybody. And it's not about pleasing everybody. It's about doing the right thing. That's kind of what I was sort of able to step out of that loop and just start acting, you know, realizing that this was a platform that I could bring experts on to, to speak about the issues, um, and educate people. For me, that was the first step. Um, and so one of the things that we discussed was neutrality. Um, and I spoke to one of my psychology, social justice friends, uh, and we had a lengthy conversation about neutrality. Um, so I want to hear from you guys a little bit, because I've heard some really different opinions of, of neutrality right now. I'm going to start with Sandra right now. Um, 
because I want to hear about your choice to not only be an ally right now, but be an activist when the easy choice would have been neutrality as a, a white woman right now in the situation. Okay. Um, just to start off, I'm going to be completely honest. I think when it comes down to it, I think our feelings as white people aren't the focus. I don't think that this is what it's about. I feel that what our job is to do is to be an ally, to educate, to spark the uncomfortable conversation. Because again, it's really not about us. We We've had this life that we were privileged to live, but we will truly never understand it. And so that's not the point. That's not the focus. It's not about us. It's not about our feelings. It's about joining together. It's about learning. It's about really listening to stories, listening to feelings, and really just getting a better grasp of things that are outside of like our wildest dreams. Like we 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 can't understand. So I really feel like to be an ally is to push all that to the side and really just be there, learn, have that conversation. And that's where I feel we're going to get change. Jasmine, talk to me about neutrality a little bit. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think that, um, I think that, for example, you just premised the question to Sandra of, you know, thing to do um, as a white woman who isn't affected is to... Um, to not do anything, right? Or to ignore or to um, just let others handle the problem. What it comes down to is the way that we look at ourselves being connected to other people. So, right, Sandra's a white woman, I'm a brown woman, Malik's a black man. What is what is the common thread between all of us? The common thread between all of us is that we're trying to live in a community that is actually thriving, that has less violence, that has less, that has more prosperity, more, you know, whether that's economic, spiritual, whatever it comes to be. If we start looking at each other like our liberations truly are bound, which I truly believe they are, then it becomes so much easier to see how you are connected in that situation and to see when you don't act, how it's actually putting um, yourself in a worse position, right? Because at the end of the day, like, of course, white people benefit from the continued subjugation of black people. But at the end of the day, no one likes to be a racist, you know, except for the few like white supremacists. So white people don't like being grouped in with those racists. So if they continue to not do anything, in some ways they're they're working against themselves and against the people that they see themselves that they want to be. Um, so, I mean, I, just speaking for myself, I don't, I didn't really see neutrality. I mean, I guess you could look at neutrality in terms of like I'm not actively doing anything, but I think it's very hard to be neutral in terms of having. Uh, in terms of being completely outside of the problem whatsoever. Does anybody disagree with that view? So I want to, I want to go to Malik real quick to, to take one step further on that. Um, Malik, let's say there is an individual out there. Um, I'm going to give two, two individuals. Let's say there is a black man and a white man. Um, The white man, we'll start with first, the white man um, feels that he has no voice. Um, he is a complete ally in his heart and and uh, doesn't practice racism, doesn't condone it, um, but feels he has no voice at all in this matter and that can't, can't make a change and doesn't want to put an empty gesture out there that he's not going to act upon. He has He doesn't have the bandwidth to do it. 
He doesn't have the, the capacity to go out there and be a change maker. Um, he's just a regular average Joe and decides to be neutral. Is that okay? Um, no. I mean, I can take this and make it centered towards Farmingdale that we can all relate to. Um, when you talk about the prototypical neutral white man, we're talking about people that also enjoy black culture, uh, listen to hip hop, buy Jordans, um, cheer us on the basketball court, love that, you know, really participate actively in black culture. So you can't have both sides of the coin. There's, you can't, if you're this person that fits this, this description, you can't turn around and say, I'm going to ignore black issues. You know, you're, you're actively contributing to the problem and you're not neutral by default of doing that. You're at, you're, you may as well be part of the people that are cheering on the cop that kneeled on George Floyd's net. And that's kind of the hard pill that these quote unquote neutral white people need to swallow, that there is no real such thing as neutral right now. Um, and American history you don't really have a history of being neutral on anything. We get involved in everyone's foreign issues. So to sit here and look at me and say you're going to be neutral on a domestic issue, I, I can't. I can't really get down with that. Okay. Same question for a black man that's in the exact same situation. When I say exact same, obviously it's not going to be exactly the same because the black man is going to have experienced the systemic racism um, and the prejudice all his life. But the average Joe has a, a normal blue collar job, does not have the bandwidth or capacity um, to, to stand up and do anything, right? And feels that his voice is just drowning in a sea of other voices right now and chooses to be neutral. Is that okay? Well, I'll actually go back to the point of this person has no bandwidth. I don't even think I necessarily agree with that. Everyone has friends. Like if I, it doesn't mean you have to go to social media, you have to lead it to protest. But if I have a friend, I can have an intimate conversation with a friend that has the wrong views and you're actively making a difference. So I don't even agree with the fact that there's this, this quote unquote person that has no capacity to do anything. Everyone has capacity to do something. Obviously, it varies in size and role, but everyone has to take some form of an active role in this, so whatever um, size that is. So I would say to that to that black person, um, pretty much what I said before: like we have a responsibility to make this make this community we live in better for our children and people that come after us. What if our grandparents and their parents said the same thing? You know, we may we may not be able to vote right now. So that complacency just can't be tolerated. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a step further. I'm gonna throw it to to Jasmine now. Um, when we talk about uh, the bandwidth and capacity of a human being, there are many factors that go along with that. Okay, um, and so let's create a fictional person that has. Uh, a blue collar job that works 60 hours a week that is just barely scraping by to put food on the table for their families um, that has never typically gotten involved in anything else. And I'm not talking black, white. It doesn't matter in this situation, right, uh, for this example, because we're talking about bandwidth specifically. 
Um, now, this person does not surround themselves in a circle um, of change makers or leaders. This is just a person that is content living their average life. Now, when I look at this from the perspective of what I do for a living as a, as a management consultant, when I go into an organization, uh, one of the first things we do is we work with the employees from the top down in an organization. We'll start with the CEO and we will work all the way down to the security guard in the parking lot to speak to everybody um, about their thoughts on the organization, uh, what ideas they have, how they feel about working there, et cetera, the work culture. Um, what we find typically is as we're looking for the people, the key employees that are going to be the key to getting this company to the next level, um, we speak to every employee about what their aspirations are, what their goals are, what they want out of this job, right? Uh, it's part of the process for us being a, a company that's a people first company. And something I discovered very early on when I started the company is that, um, I'm, I'm very, I have blinders on sometimes because I'm always going to be the guy that stands up. I'm always going to be the guy that tries to get ahead and, and, and actually do something, um, that you assume that other people are like that, but there are people out there that are content with their job exactly where it is. They don't want the promotion. They're content with their lives as it is. They don't want to hear from the outside world. They don't want any kind of disruption. And so a bandwidth isn't only a situation. We're talking about bandwidth as, uh, as, as, as an overall mindset for how, you could say some how somebody is built, although you may uh, disagree with that. So, Jasmine, speak to that when you talk about somebody that does not have bandwidth for change, or at least thinks that they don't. What happens in a situation like that? Yeah, so I would say at some level, I don't think I know anyone who is truly consistent in that they don't have some kind of aspirations. And if they actually don't have aspirations, that's sad and that's a failure on the part of our society for not carving out more space for them to imagine a better reality, right? So if someone has, you know, regardless of their race, if they're working a job where that's all they do, that's the only way that they're surviving, you know, and that's all that they know, um, that makes me question, like, is this really the world we want to be living in where people, that's, they don't even have the capacity to think about themselves uh, in connection to other folks. So. Starting at that point, um, yeah, I would say that even for people who are content in their work, like I think in a lot of ways, you know, I'm never here to shame anyone for not being a quote unquote activist. Um, in a lot of ways, and, and to quote Audre Lorde, like self-care is an act of, um, it's, it's politics, self-care is politics, self-care is self-preservation, and our selves and our bodies are the greatest asset that we have in what is the larger movement and just our regular lives. If someone doesn't engage themselves in quote unquote a larger movement, um, that's not, I'm not here to shame them. I'm here, I'm here to really talk to people who have the capacity in the same way that I do and who are interested in living, you know, a life that has more opportunity, not just for other people, but for them as well. Um, so I'm always looking for angles when we can talk about leveraging some of what that self-interest is and people just wanting to live in a better reality and seeing how we can tie that to whatever the objectives of the larger movement and campaign are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go to Maddie now, Maddie, I want to talk about diversity a little bit. Uh, what is your definition of diversity? Diversity is, is, is basically what my friend group consists of. You know, I, 
I really don't dis discriminate when when it comes to that. I like to have open minds within my you know friend group, and I like to to see how other people live. You know what I mean? It's it's not all about like me. You know what I mean? Like I just wanna. I like inviting that that other side that you really don't get to see, and I like inviting everybody in. Sandra, how about you? Same question. What is your definition of diversity? Um, I definitely agree. I always like to surround myself with different cultures, different races. I, I, I feel like that's how you just stay educated because I feel like like to be educated is a lot more than just school. I feel it really goes beyond that. And it, it really goes back to the fact of who you are as a person, how you navigate through the world and how you, how you learn and how you interact. So I feel like diversity is key. I, I think that's really how you become a well-rounded person, a respectable person. And I feel like it really means you care for all people and not just people that look like yourself. Carl, I want to, I want to build on that for a minute. Um, when we talk about the answer, if there is an answer, the answer to, to everything going on right now, where does diversity fit into the answer for you? Honestly, diversity like fits in like people being more welcoming to other group of cultures and not just so like so focused on themselves and on only one group. And, like the more diverse and more talk you have about diversity, because it all starts mentally. It all starts at a young age. Nobody is like taught to hate. Nobody's like born with hate, but you're taught with the hate. So if we could promote more diverse and promote that he is just my brother, he's my friend. It doesn't really matter. And we could just build off of that. And then we could create a new mindset to be a change and be a better future for not just us, but generations to come. What would you, what would you like to see in, in 25 years be a difference in, in diversity in terms of how diversity is um, introduced in a young person's life? Like, like, just, I don't know, 25 years, maybe you could, people could just see themselves as, as like, welcome everywhere, and they don't become intimidated by one another, and we're just more, like, welcoming to one another without any hate, even though it's hard to get there. But, like, like I said, it really starts at a young age, because children just are children, and they play. And as they grow up, they form these friend groups and they start drifting away and they just start attaching and they don't really like, they, they're not comfortable to like, like get out of the friend group or comfortable to go to somebody else. So I feel like in 25 years, I want people to be comfortable to talk to other people that are like, that don't look like them, that don't necessarily come from the same culture that you, you come from, but you could talk and you could have a good conversation and just talk about like life and just make life better. Yeah. Uh, let me, let's play devil's advocate for a minute, right? Because uh, I would have loved to have had on, on this episode, the opposing view, uh, because I think it would have made a great, uh, it would have made for a great, great conversation. And hopefully we, hopefully we could have taught somebody something. Unfortunately uh, that didn't come to fruition, but let's take now the person that would say to you, Malik, um, if you want representation, you have to earn representation. Nobody is stopping you from getting there. 
What is the truth to that? Um, I'm actually happy you like that. You asked me that question. So there's a, what I hear a lot is reverse discrimination. So that person just got the job because they're black. So Carl's a track person. Uh, let's say we're running a 400 meter and I start a hundred meters behind Carl and we tie. Who is the more talented prospect, me or, or the person I was racing against? You know, like nobody thinks about it in that regard that we're starting so far behind and that if we actually catch up or God forbid do better than our white counterparts, then it's not accounted for, for the distance that we went to do that. You know, I work at a, um, I have an entry level position at a, at a fortune 200 region. And I have white counterparts there. And I'll be frank, I had to do a lot more to get into that position than they did. I had to study extra hard in school. I had to be buttoned up to the T. I had to speak a certain way. I had to present myself a certain way. I couldn't wear my hair a certain way. I couldn't make any mistakes whatsoever because I didn't have that leeway. So, I mean, I'm kind of going on a rant right now, but basically that's that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man, that was, you just dropped some knowledge there. I, I love that line about who, uh, if you start 100 meters behind, who's the more talented athlete? That was, uh, it, it's really telling right now. And I think where, where I want to go with this conversation is the misinformation out there um, within the white community, within uh, communities that don't understand things like Black Lives Matter. They don't understand the uproar right now, what they would call an uproar. Um, this is kind of where I'm I'm hoping to find my sweet spot uh, in this movement right now in trying to help lead during this movement. Um, I'm seeing a lot of my white counterparts um, out there, my friends, colleagues, uh, and having conversations and seeing that there are some facts of life that they that they just don't understand. Okay, um, there are some words that they don't understand at all. There are words that they are seeing, and I've been calling them this week "dirty little words." They're hearing these words, and they take them um, as if it's slander against them as if somebody is speaking directly to who they are as a human being when they hear words like privilege, when they hear words like neutrality, when they hear um, <coughs> the term Black Lives Matter, as if it's a direct slander against them. And in, in all of these conversations that I've had this week where I've learned in depth what some of these things mean uh, a little more in depth and the connotations within the white community, within the black community. Um, it's really been very enlightening to me in terms of sort of reconciling how I feel right now. Um, and so I'm going to start with Sandra on this one. Um, explain to me, Sandra, what privilege means to you. I guess privilege is having the upper hand. Mm-hmm. And um, when in reality, that, that even shouldn't matter um, because at the end of the day, it comes down to who a person is, um, what they value, and 
and things like that. Um, I'm really like thrown off with that question, to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. And, and I, I understand the sentiment as, uh, as a white person. Um, and these are the things that, that, you know, over the years that I have seen uh, in having these kind of conversations, but um, the fact that so many people are activated right now and having these conversations, I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, a white friend that I never expected to have this kind of conversation with. And it was a great conversation, a thoughtful conversation. And we talked a lot of this stuff out, um, specifically privilege, right? And so I'm going to, I'm going to sort of talk about what I've, um, discovered in this, in talking to a lot of my social justice friends that I want to hear, uh, thoughts on this. So, um, the idea of privilege, what I have been seeing primarily is that when somebody uses the word privilege, let's say in a social media setting, uh, a white person will immediately take offense. And 99% of the time, the comeback is immediately, you don't know where I come from. You don't know what I went through in my life. And that is immediately the moment where you go, you don't understand what, what this word means, especially in this particular situation right now. And that, in reality, speaks to the term Black Lives Matter. It speaks to everything going on right now. It speaks to, in the fact, the fact that we are right now in this very, very moment having these conversations sparked by the murder of George Floyd, the context right now is black lives. That is the context today in this conversation. This week, this month, um, however long this stays at the forefront, which is so bad to say because this is how social justice works. You know, eventually this topic will fade and it'll move on to the next one. And that's the worst part about um, the cycle of social justice. Now, um, with a word like privilege, where a white person will take offense to that and you try to explain to them that privilege is a, a thing that you're born into. Privilege is a situation surrounding you. I'm not saying it to you in a bad way because you were born into this. You were born in by the color of your skin. You were born as not privileged because of the color of your skin. Right. Um, and so when we have these conversations in a, in a calm way where you can kind of explain to somebody, there are a, a group of people that will understand and go, okay, I get it. Uh, and I'll admit that years ago, I didn't understand this concept as much as I do today. Uh, so I want to speak to, to the young people. Now I'll start with uh, Maddie. Um, talk to me about your feelings around the term privilege. Uh, I would say privileges like, societal privilege that like it, it benefits white people over non-white people it's you know getting getting to ride in a car and and not being pulled over by the police as opposed mm -hmm. to just home from work and being pulled over for no reason you know what i mean it's yeah it's it's heavy it's heavy um no i appreciate the the honesty with that um when i was talking to one of my social justice friends earlier this week we talked about the levels of privilege um and i think 
I think people can understand it sometimes if you take away just the color and look at it. Uh, and I'm speaking now specifically to the people that don't understand privilege or are listening or watching right now. Um, you know, I uh, I was a big fan um, in the 90s NBA of Dikembe Mutombo, who comes from the Congo, okay, uh, did a ton of charity work in the Congo. And I, I think I had watched a documentary once about it um, and just seeing uh, this always jumps out in my mind because of the visuals seeing some of the kids with cleft palates um and just the situations they were born into now we're not going to even talk about color here we're going to talk about now this group here us being um you know six people that were born here and and lived in new york in the united states um versus a child that was born in the congo right um in a situation like a cleft palate that that's born into complete poverty um, with, with just no resources to get out of your situation. We are all the six of us privileged in comparison to that child. Right. And so when we look at the way privilege works in comparison, I think that's when people can understand um, what privilege actually means. So now when we talk about privilege in terms of race in the United States, I hope that people can realize what privilege means to be born a white person in the United States versus a black person. And that's not to say, you know, the, the uneducated person is going to say, well, what if you have a black person that was born into wealth versus a white person that was born in the ghetto and had no money? Guess what? That's still a black person versus a white person. So if those people are both walking down the streets with hoodies, which one do you think is going to get stopped by a cop? No matter the wealth or what, right? That's privilege. That's that's the definition of privilege for those that don't understand it. I, I, I'm sorry to, to jump into this with the definition, but this is something I wanted to make completely crystal clear um, to the people out there that don't understand that. Jasmine, can you speak a little bit on this? Yeah, I think just expanding on that privilege is the absence of rather than the, the um, I think people often look at privilege and be like, well, I didn't get anything handed to me. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just like Maddie was talking about. It's the absence of having to fear for yourself when you're going to go get groceries. right? It's the absence of having to navigate the world in ways in which, you know, people are looking at the color of your skin first and not your character. So I think that, yeah, it's important to really unpack what we mean when we say privilege. Again, like I'm always gonna come to these conversations. I'm way more interested um, in the safety of black people in, than I am in the feelings of white people, but I know it's important strategically to think about how we are you know, really making sure that the message of what privilege is gets across. Again, we all have different levels of it. Um, yeah, one other thing I wanted to just, just touch on is you know, we, there's always going to be like this, this work around messaging and this work around how do we get as many people on our side as possible. Again, I think it comes back to the importance of coalition building and seeing where folks have mutually aligned interests. So someone who's a low income white worker has mutually aligned interests with someone who's a middle class, you know, uh, white collar black worker. Right. There's different aspects in which we all like could benefit if we had more solidarity and actual movement building around and realizing that 
you know, whiteness itself is really premised on this fear that they're going to lose that privilege and that, that other people are now going to get um, the, all the, the things that they claim that they don't have, right? The, the ability to walk through the world in the myth of what is the superior. So when people, you know, the, the saying of the higher you are, the, the longer you fall or whatever it is, I think that that people at you know some in some ways at the top are really preying on the fear of white people and in many ways using low-income white people. I think about folks I went to Carmel High School with using them as a pawn in the education um, yeah. and letting and really making sure that they they know that oh they're saying you have privilege but you grew up poor and realizing that you know using that language is going to scare them from actually engaging in ways with their black counterparts. Yeah. On that note, um, I, I want to go to another term uh, when, since we're talking about definitions right now and clarifying these. I want to talk about Black Lives Matter. Let me start with Carl on this. What does Black Lives Matter mean to you, Carl? Uh, it means that we are not like we have come from like from places where nobody should be, and that uh, we have fought so hard for so long and. And that allies really do matter and it's just like we are human and we are humanized and we are the same people as you and just that our skin is nothing different and nothing like to how we live and how we are and like we should just be be able to live yeah maddie when somebody when you see somebody come back um I know the, I hope this isn't a triggering thing for anybody, but you know, it's a conversation that needs to be had. When do you see somebody come back um, to black lives matter and say all lives matter instead? What do you feel like inside? Um, I feel angry. Like, why don't you, why don't you get it? Why don't you see that we just want our lives to matter too? Just because we say black lives matter, that does not mean we're excluding you, you know? We just want our lives to matter as much as yours does, you know? And and it's sad that people people don't see that. Sandra, uh, when we say, when, when somebody says Black Lives Matter and then somebody comes back to it with no All Lives Matter, um, as a white person, what is it that you would explain to that person um, in, in terms of explaining why that doesn't belong, why that response doesn't belong? Um, okay, so I feel like the issue that we're dealing with at hand is Black Lives Matter. So in the grand scheme of things, all lives matter. But I feel like um, one one thing that I know that um, me, Jasmine, and Malik have been talking a lot about is um, the fi- um, the fire metaphor. I don't know if you if you're if you know it or anything, but it's saying um, you know when your house um, if someone's house goes on fire. And then the police and, um, you know, fire fire department respond and they're putting out that fire. And then someone else were to come out of their house and say, my house matters too. Your house isn't on fire, so we're not going to spray water on a house that isn't on fire. So it, it really has to go with that. It's really just being able to know the issue at hand, dealing with that and making that right first you know we're not gonna put water on a house that isn't on fire because that doesn't make sense so that's my take on it and i know the three of us we've been using that one a lot just because 
I, I feel like the people that do say that, they don't understand. And it needs to be as direct and as simple as possible. Because again, they can't understand a simple thing such as why we're focusing on Black Lives Matter. Then they really need things simplified to actually understand what the issue is here. And yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great metaphor. We when when the three of us had that conversation yesterday, or four of us had that conversation yesterday, um, I used that birthday metaphor that I've used with people. But this is a a much clearer metaphor than that. Um, and I think that oversimplification, you know, it seems silly when we do it, but um, man, people just don't get it sometimes. You know, um, yeah. you know, and and this is something that I want to speak to as well. Um, what I'm finding. Uh, and I'm going to always use social media as, as the example here, because this is where you really see, um, the thoughts of people and, uh, you know, how they're feeling in that very moment. Um, there is a level of extremism right now. And, you know, I, I know we are in a very politically charged time besides this. Um, but there is a level of extremism right now that is bringing people to a place of black or white, no pun intended. Uh, and I'm not talking about skin color i'm talking about black or white in that it either has to be this or this and they don't understand the gray area in that and so black lives matter is something that um that i see a lot of people and i'm going to say making the mistake because there is a, a a very clear mistake in this there's responses that's all lives matter. Then there's the blue lives matter responses. Um, now I'm I'm just going to give my take on this, and this is my opinion. Um, but people need to understand that Black Lives Matter does not mean that all lives matter, and they need to understand when they they say all lives matter, they're basically negating Black Lives Matter and saying that they don't right. And then when they jump in and say blue lives matter because we do live in a very blue area, right? A very uh, pro-police area um, that this is a fight against the police. And, and in a way, you know, it is. It's not against police specifically. It's against police policy. And of course, the bad police out there. Um, you know, for I, for one, am a supporter of the good police. And there are plenty out there. I do know and believe in my heart that there needs to be reform in terms of tactics because times have changed. And so these are one of the action steps that are out there right now to change those eight um, submission tactics uh, that, that police use. They're, they're trying to get some policies passed with that. Um, I do know that there was something passed. I should have done my homework on this. There was something passed <coughs> in New York State yesterday regarding um, chokeholds. And so voices are being heard right now. But um, the extremism here is really where I think a lot of the, the problems are lying. People aren't understanding the, the gray area. They're not understanding the, the true definitions of what something means. And more so than that, they're not understanding the consequences of what they are saying. Okay. Um, and so with this, I kind of want to go to, let's go to Jasmine on this one. Um, what do you feel right now with all this misinformation, miseducation, naivety out there? What do you feel is the next step in educating people? How can we right now in this time educate people in order to change hearts? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, so I was just reading today, um, I'm going to forget the actual data, but the New York Times put out a um, poll that people who are for Black Lives Matter in this moment is up like 28 percentage points over people who are neutral or not or against Black Lives Matter. So we're seeing that there has been a gradual but accelerated coming to terms with this is the right side of history to be on. Um, even again in places like Farmingdale where I wouldn't have anticipated this just a few years back, seeing that there is a critical mass. And so I think that the biggest steps to education right now is actually comes before that and it's keeping loud, keeping this top of mind for folks because the only reason we're having such interesting critical conversations right now are because we have people in the streets, you know? And so there's gonna be people who are saying, Oh, I'm so tired of people being in the streets, but at least they're still talking about the issue at hand. So I think in terms of education, like there's so there's always been great educational material. I mean, like if we just look at our history, that's something that people can always, you know, it's always accessible. But it's less about what are the resources and tools that are out there and how do we make sure that people know it's important to dedicate themselves to that education at this moment. Um, yeah, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I want to go to Carl and Maddie for, for a minute on this same question when we talk about, um, how to educate people and how to bridge these gaps, but I want to bring it into your world right now where you are. Um, I want to, I want to understand from you guys, what are the ways that you're going to choose to pursue authentic cross-cultural and cross-ethnic relationships, you know, within your own school? Um, honestly, because I had this conversation earlier with my superintendent and we were basically saying there's so much black culture and other cultures that we don't learn in schools. And like, out of like, I'm in my junior year right now, like these past two weeks, I've learned more about black culture than I've learned probably in all my years in, in school because it's always constantly slavery. It's always constantly Martin Luther King, but they don't ever touch upon like black Wall Street. They don't touch upon the first African-American pilot, they don't touch upon anything. And like, no coming like these few weeks, I'm really, really like, realizing like, I like don't really even know my own history because we're not even being taught. So I feel like maybe we could like, like as a club, have, because the school doesn't teach the little things, we could touch upon the little things, touch upon more important things about all types of history that people are not even fond about. And it's really interesting and really like, it really grabs the attention because like so many people are just not educated about our actual history, but they just know the constant every year learning about slavery, every year learning about the um, Bill of Rights and Emancipation Proclamation, but they're not actually learning about little people like Rosa Parks and how those other people building up to that. Like, that's something I'm like building on something I'm trying to like vouch for it so we can learn more. So yeah. Yeah. Uh Maddie, what about you? Same thing as Carl. Uh today during that meeting we heavily expressed that we needed a curriculum that implements a more inclusive history, not just MLK, the constant slavery topic over and over. We need things like the the sixteen nineteen project. We need you know, to learn about Black Wall Street, we need to learn about the Black Panthers. There's so many that we need to learn about and so many groups that have, you know, brought us to where we are today. So, yeah. Um, 
I'm going to stay with you guys for a minute. I want to talk um, a little more in depth about uh, Real Harmony. I want to talk about um, how it came to be, and I want to I want to talk to you guys about um, what you've seen in your in your two years of existence, two years or so of existence, in terms of growth and where you hope Real Harmony is down the line when you guys are graduated. So talk to me first about where Real Harmony came from. So during Black History Month, two years ago, uh, a student, a white student had posted a Snapchat story basically saying that, you know, whoever uh, supports Black History Month um, should die. We should kill ourselves and that we're a bunch of faggots. And so basically what I did with that, I screenshotted that post and I sent it to everyone. I sent it to the superintendent, the board of education, all of the deans, a couple of my teachers. And, you know, immediately, uh, well, a little bit later, I had gotten uh, an email back from a couple of the deans and the superintendent basically calling up a meeting uh, and just to bring this child in so we can ask him why he did what he did and just to educate him. And that's how it started, basically. Yeah. Um, what kind of growth have you guys had over the over the last couple of years? Um, I want to say we were surprised with how everything happened so fast. Within the next month, I think we we had uh, got a, a diversity fair, right? A, a multicultural diversity fair, and it was just it was amazing. Uh, of the support we got, so many kids were even skipping classes, you know, to come see what what we what we've done in the commons and to see, like, you know, like to really pay attention. And it, it really surprised us, like, just the feedback we got and the support. It was really it was really eye opening. And even this year, we had a Black History program to kind of like educate people and we invite a lot of people. And so many a lot of people came out, people like you wouldn't expect and. Like we made it so that they would understand black history, they'll understand our actual history. And it's not just like the black and whites, but we really went into it and we really like taught them about like even jazz, even like music and stuff like that. And like literature, black literature, and we taught them about that. And we were going to do another um, multicultural event fair, but because of Corona, we didn't, but hopefully in the near future, we could, you know, grow and more people coming out because more people now the clothes becoming like more known about where do you guys where do you guys hope this goes you know 10 years from 10 years from 2021 you come come back for your high school reunion we really hope the legacy of the club is continued you know because we are the original founders and we really hope that there's others who are inspired who want to continue you know what we started and who really stands by you know the equity and the and the and the quality that that's promoted within real harmony yeah yeah and Amazing. even like to implement that in other schools too like the middle yeah. school and like other districts and we could just work together too yeah i know i know one thing we talked about was you know uh having the the founders go to like the elementary school and the middle school to speak to the kids and to see to to motivate them to see like what we have done and the change that we're going to continue doing you know yeah you guys do an incredible job you should be you should be very proud um i want to i want to now move to 
um, Jasmine and Malik and Sandra and talk about the the protests. So uh, again, just to reiterate, this past Sunday, June 7th, right? June 7th, um, these three organized an incredible protest. Um, over a thousand people, peaceful protest. Uh, I heard amazing things from so many people uh, about what went on and the, and the vibe during this thing. Um, people that I know have never done anything like this. have never been a part of anything like this. And so, you know, as somebody who loves our community so much, uh, it warms my heart to see, you know, um, people, e- even if they're brand new allies, just jumping into to support what the community needs in order to grow in a diverse way. Um, and so I want to talk to you guys for a minute you know, just being from Farmingdale, having some of you have, have left, you know, Jasmine, I know you're in Oakland now. Um, talk to me about how this thing came about um, and, and let everybody know, not just the logistics of how it came about, but really the thought process behind standing up. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was simple. Malik said we're writing, so we're writing. That's really all it came down to. Um, you know, my friend hits me up. I'm someone who has been in this work, you know, once Black Lives Matter. When Black Lives Matter really um, popped off, we were in our freshman year of college. So I was involved heavily at that time. Um, and yeah, the reason that I'm in New York currently is because of quarantine. So I've kind of just been in the house where normally in Oakland, California, um, I am actively an organizer and working with folks in that community and have still been doing a lot of that virtually. but. It's interesting because this was actually the first real time I actually returned to Farmingdale. Um, again, I'm someone who left, and I think left somewhat bitterly because I, you know, for George, you could say this is a place that you always grew up and loved. I never felt like Farmingdale loved me. So as soon as I had the chance to leave, I left. Um, but this was the first opportunity to really come back and, and see in my community water opportunities in which I can contribute to the place that, you know, even though I had a lot of resentment, did ultimately raise me and made me the person who I am. Um, so I'm going to pass it to Malik, who still is in the community and who really is the one who invited me in to help him support this work. Right. So as Jasmine said, I texted her and she followed through. So we started organizing and we put out a flyer, I believe, on Wednesday. And within the hour, we were sent Sandra's flyer. <laughs> so we had two, we had a decision made. We could either just went forward with our protest or we could have combined. And, you know, I think doing it separately would have been counterproductive because, you know, even though Farmer is diverse, it's also fairly segregated in terms of how the, the school district lines are drawn up. I mean, all, all the black students generally come from either South Farmingdale or North Amityville. So we figured, you know, it was imperative for us to, um, Tonight, in that regard, and of course, Sanja was very open and, and welcoming and excited to to work with us. So we kind of got a flyer done very quickly, like within thirty minutes, and put it out, correcting that it was going to be a unified event. And we kind of just kept working from there. And then it felt like by day, by hour, it turned into something bigger than we anticipated. We just kept reacting to it, and and, and Sunday is in history books. So that's kind of how it turned out. Yeah. Um, I, I want to hear a little bit about the reaction. Um, 
you know, Jasmine, you, you mentioned before something that's really important to say that I grew up in this town and have a, a love for this town and a respect for this town, but you didn't necessarily grow up in the same town, although we grew up in the same place, right? Um, and so there's a lot to be said for that. I'm, again, one more time, I'm going to go back to these social media fights that I've been watching, and that seems to be the theme um, that, you know, my my black friends that have been here since elementary school, just like me, went same grade, same years, everything. And whereas one of us could say like, yeah, it was a great time. I had a great time. And they turn around and go, are you kidding me? You know, uh, I lived in a completely different place than you. Um, now, I I understand that and I'm forward thinking enough to understand that. But there are people out there that just don't accept it. You know, it's the, those extremist um, understandings. You know, when I'm seeing like, oh, there's no racism here and blah, blah, Come on. You know? Yes, Malik. Um, I won't necessarily – so on the point that you said they don't accept it, um, the way I feel about that is when you present people with facts that they've never seen in their entire life and you kind of – it's almost like you evoke an identity crisis. They have to question everything they've ever been taught. They have to question their parents. They have to yeah. question the place they live. And when they're in that state, you know, it's it's fight or flight. You know, it, that's kind of why you get those very angry, charged reactions because you're making them essentially question who they are as a person. You know, so it's it's kind of it's kind of tough to navigate that as somebody that's trying to educate them, and then furthermore, as somebody that's angry living it but also trying to educate them and now when they're in that in that state as being part of a press group to now have to have sympathy for that person for the greater good of the movement it's kind of a it's, it's a very it's a very sharp double-edged sword you know it's it's you know you want to when that person's reacting you want to get angry and that's your chance to like you know, this is how I felt, but it's like that's not going to benefit us in the the macro of the movement. So it's it takes a lot of maturity, and it takes a you know it it takes a big perspective knowing that it's not just about how you feel. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you guys get any pushback? Moderately. Not as much as we expected, actually. Um, Sandra, do you want to no. speak on that? Yeah, so we got a little bit of pushback um, just on some Facebook platforms. That was, I expected to be a lot more pushback than we actually got. I felt overall there was a very, um, the whole event was received very well by Farmingdale. Um, to me, the most important part was when people would reach out to us after the event and they said, you know, you guys are role models to my, my kids. We brought our kids here. And I think that that was the most important because, again, these are parents, parents who are now saying, hey, you know, we need to wake up. We need to start these conversations with these kids. And I feel like that was the greatest compliment out of everything um, that went on with the event was um, that their kids are now, you know, aware. They're learning. And um, I also got a lot of comments saying for the first time I've been, I was proud to truly be able Daler. And I think I've had feelings about that. I think that's so crazy. Like it took this, you know, to um become a, 
a proud Daler. And I, I think that this, um, in that way was pretty revolutionary in Farmingdale to have people actually take pride in their community that wasn't there before. Um, I'll tell you guys that, that, you know, uh, being a person, I'm trying to find the right words for this. Um, being a person that is proud of this town and has seen it on different levels. So now we're going to talk about that. I'm, um, I'm a little bit older, just a little. Um, and, uh, I've seen a lot of good here. I've seen a lot of bad here. Um, I always talk about on this show, um, my journey in life and going from, you know, 10 years ago, a person that I wasn't really proud of. And, and I called myself a, uh, um, an average citizen of this planet at best. Um, and kind of coming back to my hometown that embraced me to start my business here, to raise my family here. Um, and really seeing what it had to offer. Um, and, and it's not perfect ever. You know, it's never going to be perfect. Um, but there, there is something special that I've found in this town that has not only has it supported me through tough times, but I want to give back to it in that way. Right. I want to be able to bring things to this town that aren't normally a part of it. It's the reason that I brought TEDx Farmingdale here. You know, I brought my, my public speaking world to this town because I knew how good of a job that we can do. And man, if you saw that stage last year, for those of you that were that, that, that watched that were there, um, man, did we have some progressive talks on that stage, like stuff that, you know, when I was graduating high school, had you talked about these things on that stage, you would have been run out of the room, you know? Um, and so there is growth there, but it's growth that we have to put that work in, you know, it's on us as community members, um, to and and this is just my belief but to not look at it and say well this place is broken you know um if we feel a certain type of way as leaders this is the responsibility um you know to stand up and do what we think is right and get people involved and if it works it works and if it doesn't you know um then it's a sad day right um and so i i love that i love that you guys brought this um to Farmingdale. I, I love the, the reaction that I saw. I saw the negativity out there too, you know, don't get me wrong, um, on social media watching it, you know, from, from minor negativity of people complaining that you moved the route to a residential street to major negativity, you know, of like, oh, another Black Lives Matter thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, you're not going to be able to reach all of those people, but if you reach some and change some hearts and, and they can raise their children in a place that is more understanding, more diverse, um, more progressive, that's the goal, you know, over time to be able to change, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, and the problem is we can't wait. And, and that's, that's the whole juxtaposition here because the next time a person of color gets murdered the next time we have an unfair situation that's when we're going to realize that we're moving a little too slow we can't wait it's not worth lives to wait in order to progress and so i'm hoping that this panel these thoughts can activate people out there even to to have a change of heart um 
I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old who are growing up in this community, and I'm proud to raise them in this community, but I'm scared to death, you know? Um, I'm scared to death of, of, of where, you know, who they're surrounded with. I'm scared to death of the choices that they're going to make when they get old enough and their thought processes. And, and all I can do as a parent is to raise them in a way that I think is, is fair and, and good and kind. Um, but we have another one on the way this August. Um, and this is my, thank you. And this is my, this is my second marriage. So, um, my, my wife is mixed race. Um, she's, uh, half Chinese. Um, and so we're going to have a, a mixed race, little beautiful little baby. And I worry for this child, you know, I worry for the community that they're going to be raised in. And I worry about how they're going to be treated, you know, in the future. Um, and it's one of the things that drives me to stand up right now, right? So where I kind of want to take this right now as we wind this thing down and wrap up for today, um, in one concise sentence uh, from each of you, and we'll go around the room, <coughs> if you can do this, because uh, I know this is a hard ask uh, without any any... Um, prior knowledge of the question in one concise sentence tell me where we need to do better as a humanity what we need to do better in one sentence or one word uh i'm going to start with jasmine in saying black lives matter and meaning it period hard stop Malik. Sandra. So if I were to wrap it up and um, I keep going back to the fact of education, I think education is most important and how even I touched on how it's not enough in the curriculum. So I think even like where we could start with farm is just starting with the cur curriculum, starting with that change. And I, uh, that's where I think we'll make the difference. Maddie. Um, there's like no one word. Uh, backing up with what Sandra said, I'd say education and, and also love, you know, we need that. Mr. Olympian, Carl. Um, I would say to listen, not to rebuttal, but to listen, to understand and create change. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, guys, I want to say before we wrap up uh, part two of this series and our first panel, uh, I'm so honored to have the five of you on this show. Um, I started this podcast last year in hopes of not only creating some leaders out there, but creating some change. Um, being raised in the same community as you guys, um, it, it, it makes me so proud to see not only the leaders that are standing up um, and, and doing the right thing out there, but damn it, are you guys smart? Like, man, there has been some some bombs that you guys dropped today that are, if somebody doesn't listen to this and get shaken to the core 
and look at their decisions in their lives and think like, man, I need to rethink this. And that's all we're asking, by the way. Just look at your decisions. If you're listening to this, look at your decisions, look at your actions, look at your thought processes and just think about it for a minute. Think about everything that's been said and just reconsider and say, hey, is there a chance that I'm wrong? That's all we're asking you. And if you can get on that path, then ask questions. Reach out to anybody here that's accessible. Reach out to me. I will hook you up with who I know people, man, that have been making my head spin for the last few weeks. Social justice people, um, black leaders, like killers in the game. Um, white colleagues and, and friends that, that are just forward thinking and just understand what we need to do as white people in order to create some change. Um, reach out. I will hook you up with any of these people to have a thoughtful conversation. I'm sure anybody here is willing to have this thoughtful conversation with you. Doesn't take a lot. It just cha- takes a change of heart. It takes an open heart to change a heart. And as I said in the promo of this, I'm looking for the people that are a part of the problem to just open their minds to potentially become a bigger part of the solution than they are of the problem right now. Uh, And so I want to, again, thank everybody here. I want to thank Jasmine. I want to thank Malik. I want to thank Carl, Maddie, Sandra for your time um, on this beautiful evening that you could have been outside doing something else. You spent with me in my in my basement, my makeshift studio. I will have you guys back one day in the real studio in my office, uh, which is a lot more badass than this, but you know, we get by here, we get by. Uh, But thank you guys so, so much. I'll give you guys an opportunity real quick. Anything, any uh, last minute thing you want to say before we go? Um, We'll go around the room real quick, Jasmine. Yeah, I mean, it's just to, um, well, thank you, George, for having us. And Maddie and Carl, like we're your people. You know, so whatever you guys need and how we can help make not just future generations, but right now, how we can help make our community better, especially in the school districts, let us know. Yeah, Malik. Yeah, I would jump on what Jasmine said. Um, you know, for Carl and Moby, and show you guys all friends that feel the same way. Um, when I was your age, I definitely wish I had people that were a little older that kind of went through the same things that could kind of, you know. Please express uh, what it's going to be like, next steps, and you know, can just help me. You know, that I have my best interest at heart. So uh, I would definitely extend that to you guys. Anybody that has a same sense of you guys, yeah. Sandra. Um, so I just think just to wrap up all my thoughts on this, I really think that the most important thing to take away is treat people the way you want to be treated. If you wouldn't want to be treated a certain way, then don't treat others like that, plain and simple. And also Maddie and Carl, I would be honored to be able to work with you guys. Um, I love the message of sending and I really, really would love to work with you guys. And thank you again, George. And Jasmine and Malik, you guys are amazing. Been, I can't even say enough words on how thankful I have been to put an event with them and 
just be able to talk to them every day and um, learn. And they've opened my eyes to a lot. So I'm grateful for that. Carl? I want to say thank you for having me. And thank you for being for me. I, I plan you guiding me. I plan on future events with Young Harmony and inviting you guys to come to participate and to help us out and to guide like some people we have too. So thank you for having me. It was a great time. I had a fun and it was really good to hear all different perspectives, all different thoughts. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll put together a, a sheet of contact info from all of us because uh, I'm sure uh, we all want to be involved in, in whatever Real Harmony is doing if if uh, if you need us. Okay. Uh, and then finally, the, uh, the future, the 2030 <laughs> Forbes youngest female billionaire, Maddie, final thoughts. Um, so basically, I just want to say thank you for, you know, allowing us to be here and giving us a platform to speak on what we what we stand for. And just if we if we honestly really do ever need you guys, we will not even think twice about contacting you and, you know, setting up something. So thank you so much. Yeah, incredible. Uh, guys, thank you for being here. Everybody else, check this out. This podcast should be live on Monday. What's today? Whatever next Monday is, the uh, 15th, June 15th. This podcast will be live. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, tune in everywhere. And of course, on our YouTube channel. Uh, guys, thank you for joining me on the launch cast today. And thank you to our guests. We'll see you later. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.